Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Rachel. Today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 2, The Enemy Within. Yay! Yay. Uh, So, quick correction from last week. Before we get into this one, um, we were talking about when was the Stargate like unburied, like discovered in Giza and all that stuff, um, and like what happened to it. It was not discovered in the 40s, like I had thought. It was discovered in 1928. Oh, so there was an even larger gap of time at which they would just look at it and wonder what it was. Yes, which I can't believe I forgot this episode, but we find out more about that in the season one episode Torment of Tantalus, coming up as episode 11 with oh. Ernest Littlefield, and we get um, with Professor Langford and all of that stuff. So, episode 11, coming up, history of the Stargate in our world. Right, so we have to go through 11 more of these, wondering. Well, <laughs> nine, nine more after this, because we're on episode 2, and that's episode 11, and 11 minus 2 is 9. Oh, so, yes. math. nine episodes from now. We will find out. We will answer Uh-oh. our first question of how long did they just stare at it? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Which is weird because, like, Torment of Tantalus is honestly one of, like, probably my top five episodes from this season. It's really good. And I was like, oh, apparently it's just been that long since I've watched this show that I totally forgot that it existed. Well, we'll, we'll rediscover it together. We'll unbury yeah. it together. <laughs> hey. hey. Uh. Nice. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> All right. So, but this episode, again, is The Enemy Within. Uh, This episode aired on August 1st, 1997. It was written by Brad Wright and directed by Dennis Barry. A brief summary is Major Kowalski is possessed by Gauld and the SGC must find a way to remove it without killing him. (gasps) Oh, the suspense is killing me. Uh, All right. So, watch the whole thing. So, you actually, there's no sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not really killing me because I know what happens. No. But if I haven't, that, that summary, that's a pretty good summary, I think, of what happens in this episode. So we open in uh, the control room, which control room is the word I forgot last week when I was talking about, like, where that star chart was that they were tracking in the original movie. I was like, the thing with the computers and the room and the th- control room is the, room the word I was buttons. looking for. The room with the buttons. The control room. Um, so Hammond is there with um, O'Neill and Kowalski and we have two new gate addresses that have been spit out by the new computer program that Carter had made. And there's sort of a little funny bit of banter between O'Neill and Kowalski about, which one do you want? I want this one. Oh, but I've heard this one, you know, the weather is much nicer on this one this time of year. And Hammond's just like, You're, how about you just go where I tell you to go? I don't know. I love just the, the, the little like bantery bits because it's like, helps establish like how well these characters know each other. And just, you know, it's 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 a really good example of show don't tell. Like, don't tell us they've been friends for 20 years. Show them doing stuff like this and you can tell that, you know, they've been friends for however long they've been. I also um, really love moments like that because um, whenever I see those, it, I always think to myself, I wonder how much of that moment was scripted versus improv. Yeah. Because I never really know I don't do enough research to find out which one it is really so I always just in my head imagine oh they just put that in there because they're fun people yeah like did 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 the script say like O'Neill and Kowalski banter and then those two guys just did that and yeah that'd be interesting to know Mm -hmm. so so how much time do you think has passed since the end of the pilot episode and here like not much like a couple days at most right 
I would think so, yes. Okay. So anyway, so while they're arguing about who's going to go where, the gate engages from off-world. Hammond orders the iris closed and the self-destruct to be activated, which has a three-minute timer. So we now have a counting clock there. And apparently since the events of the pilot of So Children of the Gods, the the Gould have just been dialing Earth again and again and again, sending Jaffa through to apparently, I guess, try and kill us off for the horrible things we did on Chulak. But obviously that doesn't work because of the iris. So there's just, you know, dead Jaffa in the ether now, which is like, eh, not a pleasant, I don't think that would be a pleasant. Well, okay. Would that be a pleasant way to die? Cause you would step into the Stargate and then just never reintegrate. So would you even really be aware of dying or would you just step into the Stargate and then you're done? I am sure that this has been discussed. So I'm sure us talking about it are going to sound really funny because I have done no research whatsoever on the subject. But I thought about that too. And so it can't be right up next to the Stargate, right? Because otherwise it will get either sent somewhere partially or, you know, cut off or whatever. It will be affected. So it has to be, I think Carter said in the episode how far away it is. Yeah, it's three micrometers, according to Carter. So, which which does not it's it's far it's close enough that matter cannot reintegrate. She said fully reintegrate. Fu- oh yeah, which fully means reintegrate. That there is partial something happening. So so I thought to myself that there must be some sort of like goo or residue or or something that ends up on the other end if, oh. if it's some sort of teeny bit of something re you know constituting. Yes, no. Yeah, I mean, or is it just enough so it's like a molecule, you know? So it's not, it's not even, I don't know if this would even be enough to be mat, to be considered, you know, matter. Mm-hmm. It would just sort of be the first sort of layer of molecules of whatever part of you steps through. I don't know. It would be an interesting discussion yeah. for, for people that have done far more research than us. Yes. <laughs> Any physicists out there care to comment? No, for now it's just going to be our musing. So there has to be something on it, some sort of residue or something that ends up over there. Yeah. Or no, is it yeah. is it really close enough where it's just imperceptible something or what could it possibly yeah. be? Yeah. I was also a little perplexed by the immediate activation of the self-destruct and it's three minute timer like gate self-destruct now like can't 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 you wait a little bit just in i don't know that that seemed a bit much that seems very tense every single time yeah you're always within three minutes of your life yeah every time the gate is activated that yeah seem quite extreme yes yeah especially since this has been going on like all the time since they came back from chulak so it's like this isn't just the first time it's happened. It's like, you know, the dozen th- dozen fifth or whatever time it's happened. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that would just be so tense all the time that you're three or you're always just three minutes away from blowing up. Ugh. So then, so while they're standing there, Kwaski kind of cricks his neck and is like, Oh, like, Oh, I'm in pain. Something hurts. And he like, he has a really bad headache and Aspen doesn't seem to help. We know what that is, but nobody else does. And then we get another gate activation and another self-destruct. And this is where we get um, Carter's comment about how the iris is three micrometers away. And like, how do you make those? How, like, 
who made those calculations about, you know, where the iris needed to be to be effective and not like, so it was far enough away to allow the gate to engage, but then close enough to not allow matter to reintegrate. Like, how do you, how do you even make those calculations? Because a stargate makes that, you know, that big kawoosh, which if it can't make the kawoosh, I guess it's fine. So then why does it even make the kawoosh? I don't know. It's another question for the ages, I suppose. I think you should Google search why doesn't the Stargate make the kawoosh when the iris <laughs> is activated. <laughs> maybe I maybe that'll be my homework for next week's episode. What happens to the Stargate kawoosh? Yes. In the event the iris is activated. Yes. Uh, so we get new opening credits in this episode, this time sort of with the sort of standard TV show opening credits where there's, you know, scenes of the actors with their name over it and everything, um, which we didn't really comment on it last week. But I like I love the opening theme song to the show. I think it's great and wonderful. And it was I had it at my wedding reception. That's how much I love the show and everything because I'm a huge dork like that. <laughs> and I made my interpretive dance. Yes. Which no uh, one will ever see. No. So it's a good one, though. I never skip it. Whenever the thing comes up on Netflix, I'm like, no, don't skip. I'm not skipping. Nope. I'm going to watch it. So we have a conversation then between um, Hammond and O'Neill where Hammond is rejecting O'Neill's request to have Tilk join SG-1, but not by his choice, which is interesting. That decision sort of has come from above Hammond at this point. And we learn Colonel Kennedy is coming from the Pentagon to interview Tilk to find out sort of, you know, what we're up against, how many, you know, Jaffa there are, what kind of technology and weaponry they have. And Jack's like, yeah, those are really great questions we should totally have answered. And then there's the whole thing about, like, wanting to run, like, scientific tests on Tilk, since he's a completely new sort of species of human. And Jack's like, I don't know how I feel about that, which, yeah, I, I mean, I understand why they would want to, but also you can't, you need Tilk's permission to do that. He is a fully grown man person. You can't just like be like, we're going to do this and like not give him a choice in the matter. So there's, you know, that tricky, that tricky, tricky thing we're in where we need information, but to do that, we sort of need to violate another person's sense of being, if you will. And that's awkward. So then Jack goes to visit Tilk, who's meditating down in some sort of holding room, which, did you notice the glitch in the scene? No. <gasps> Tilk's little forehead symbol is upside down. Oh, I did not notice that. <laughs> and then there's there's another scene later where it's like in the same room where his it's upside down again, which leads me to just sort of believe they do like block shooting where like everything that was in the set was shot at the same time because in a scene in like the scene after this where Tilk is in like the briefing room his symbols like right side up again so somehow they went like a whole day of filming with Tilk's symbol upside down and nobody noticed or by the time they did they were like oh crap they were already done and it's like well oh well it's too late to fix it Somebody fired that intern that day. Yeah. Well, yeah, the makeup artist who put it on him. So they're sort of talking about what's happening in the ghoul attacking. And Tilt believes that they'll probably only try a few more times before they believe that they've just succeeded in destroying Earth, even though none of the Jaffa have returned from Earth. Which, if you send people in somewhere and nobody ever comes back, would you believe you were successful in whatever mission it was that made you send those people into that place? I don't know if I would be. So then we get a really interesting scene here where 
Tilk asks Jack if he's a prisoner, and Jack just says yes, which I like that he doesn't try to, like, sugarcoat the situation. He doesn't try to, you know, sort of talk around it. It's just, you know, it's been us people on Earth for so long believing that we're alone, and this sort of new knowledge that there's aliens out there is just, it's a lot for people to process and take in and absorb and sort of adjust to this sort of new normal that we're living in. And uh, Jack says, we tend to be afraid of things that we don't know. And Jack's not afraid. Tilk asks why Jack is not afraid. And he's he's not afraid because he was there when Tilk turned against his own people because he saw what they were doing was wrong. And then that's all that Jack needed to know to be able to trust him. And do you agree with that? I do. I do. Do you? Well, it is a very interesting thought of, of, I mean, yeah, he saw him do this incredibly heroic thing, but at the same time, this is a person that he's known for, you know, like a whole week. Yeah. So he really doesn't know if Teal'c is all of a sudden going to be like, no, that was a bad idea. I don't really think I'm going to side with you people after all. I think we're just going to go back. He doesn't know. But I mean... Can Tilk even go back if he decides that Earth is not the place for him? Can he even go back to Chulak? Or somewhere else. Somewhere else. Or is he, like, has, has word spread throughout the galaxy now that Tilk is persona non grata amongst the Jaffa and Gould? We can't take him back. His symbol is upside down. It's not working. <laughs> yes. Then Tilk asks if um, O'Neill will show him, you know, this whole world once he, you know, sort of proves his allegiance and is deemed safe to be on Earth. And Jack responds that yes, but not all at once because it's big, which is interesting because it's it, it, it kind of alludes to I think that comment kind of alludes to a common sort of sci-fi trope when we ever we visit alien planets and there's sort of a, a, a centralized sort of location for arrivals that the entire world seems to exist around that one little port or the Stargate, or the landing zone, or wherever, there never ever really seems to be reference to, like, other cities on that planet. And you have to imagine they're, you know, it's a planet, so it's big. Why is it, why does there only ever seem to be, like, one city on that? That always bugs me so much. It's like, it's like, even just somebody, I, I, like, I know why in a TV show we can't visit the whole planet, but just... Why does nobody make a comment about, you know, other cities and like, oh, well, last time when we went and visited blah, blah, blah. It's just like, why? Just just say that there are other cities that exist. <laughs> That's all I need. I think Stargate Atlantis was really the only show to kind of uh, explain that in any sort of believable way because of the fact that they had civilizations were not allowed to grow past mm-hmm. a certain point. Okay. And uh, and and so that you know, okay, that makes sense to not have like entire cities and towns and whatnot because you know uh, people were killed. But um, yeah, that always really really bugs me that <laughs> that they'll go on an adventure and they'll meet this one population of people and like that's the entire world. Uh, it's just one of those things we have to deal with in sci-fi. Mm. So we move then to Kowalski, who's in the infirmary getting checked out, and he says his headaches have been just, you know, sort of getting worse ever since they came back, and the doc is sort of just trying to figure out what's going on and is asking if, you know, anybody else who was on this mission is also experiencing headaches, because maybe it's just like a side effect of gate travel, and all of this is so new, who knows what's going on, and he sort of starts prodding at like the back of Kowalski's sort of like neck and his like shoulders to see what's going on, and he sees like a sort of scar on the back of his neck and then something moves under his skin and it just it's look that effect was really good because it just made me like cringe and go whenever I see it it's like it's really well done and it's just like 
gross and I don't, I don't like it. So, but apparently the symbiote that had burrowed into him at the end of Children of the Gods did not attach how symbiotes normally do to a person. I probably because it was still immature and, you know, not fully developed, but something happened and it's now like, it's time. The ghoul does what it does and Kowalski gets like, taken over and like kills the doc and like, here we go. Things are starting off and it's not looking good for us. Does that mean that until it does that, it's just like roaming around in his body? It's just swimming around in there? I, I don't know if it's maybe just sort of in position, like way. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do you think he would notice that? <laughs> yeah. So I imagine it was just sort of maybe dormant and like along his spine, but not fully attached like it does. I don't you know. think he would have noticed that. Yeah, but apparently not. Yeah. How often? How often do you examine your spine, Rachel? Well, I think if I had a snake that was like a foot and a half, just like roaming around in there, I would notice something weird. Perhaps. Nothing else, you'd have like weird back problems. Well, he's got a headache and like his well, neck hurts. Yeah, but it wasn't actually attached to his neck. I mean, like the headaches are from like the entry wound, right? It I doesn't actually so. attach itself to yeah. his neck until until it's go time. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Mm. Question. Yes, we have questions. All right. So um, we cut to Daniel and Sam in the briefing room who are giving a lecture about the DHD. And Sam says it's basically like a telephone and that to get home, all you need to do is dial Earth. Daniel seems to sort of spot something weird out of the window and walks over and is like, why is Kowalski in the embarkation room? Which he called it the embarkation room, which... <laughs> If you remember the episode 2010, where sort of it was after the Stargate had become public knowledge and they were actually like giving tours of the SGC and Sam and Daniel went like undercover because there was weird stuff going on and they like needed to use the gate. And the tour guide was like, welcome to the embarkation room. And Daniel's like, uh, we called it the gate room. And she's like, it, no, it was the embarkation room because this is where the SG teams embarked from. And they're like, no, we called it the gate room. Look, Daniel, you're calling it the embarkation room. So what's the truth? What is the truth here? I have questions. Is it the gate room? Is it the embarkation room? Make up your mind. Maybe it was officially one and just referred to as the other? Perhaps. But Daniel was like so adamant that they called it the gate room. The well, how many years later was that episode? Uh, It was in season... Four or five? Four, maybe? It took place in the year 2010, which was, at the time, was in the future, is now in the past. But, which, oh God, that's going to be trippy when we get to that episode, because it was 10 years, 11 years ago, even though it was in the future. But now it's in the past, and that's all trippy. Anyway, so we see Kowalski just, like, sort of standing on the ramp, like, looking up at the gate, just sort of, like, as a zombie. And everybody, like, makes their way down to the gate room, and he's just, and Kwaski sort of, quote-unquote, like, wakes up and has no memory of the last, you know, five, ten minutes of his last memories, like, being in the infirmary, and now he's standing in front of the gate. So, that's weird. I'm not even sure what's happening at this point. I did have questions about this particular scene as to why Kowalski just standing in front of the gate was like so dangerous that they had to, you know, call in other people rather than just walk in there and be like, hey, what are you doing? It's weird. Stop it. Yeah. I but mean, Daniel I gets, he gets all like sensitive and he's like, oh, we need to call backup on this. Like he's just mm-hmm. standing in front of the gate. 
I was, yeah. I, I thought that was very strange. I, I, I do wonder if maybe, you know, Sam and Daniel are in, you know, the briefing room. Hammond's office is right there. Maybe Jack was there. And, you know, Jack and Hammond know Kowalski better than Sam and Daniel do. So maybe Daniel was like, hey, Hammond, something weird is going on with Kowalski. Do you want to? And then they like maybe grab Jack and we're just like, hey, Kowalski, what's up? But why and would it be weird that he was just standing in front of the gate? Because it is? I don't know. <laughs> but like he was just in that room. That's that's what I'm not understanding is weird. I don't know. Apparently it was weird enough to call in <laughs> other people. Because he doesn't go in there unless he's he going go somewhere. In there. Why would you do that? So we're back to the infirmary and we uh, get the new doctor, Dr. Warner, who's like, you know, there's other doctors who stay on call. I'm sorry. I don't know where he is. And they sort of, you know, talk about what's happened. He's like, okay, let's get an MRI to, you know, find out what's going on, which I think is a great idea. Because when you're messing with, like, the brain and stuff, you really want to know what's going on. So Tilk gets brought to the briefing room, and here's where we meet Colonel Kennedy. And Tilk's symbol is right side up again, which is great. So Tilk reaffirms that he will give, you know, any and all knowledge he has freely and, like, pledge his allegiance to Earth which is great. So basically he sort of starts getting questioned about, you know, how technology works, how the gate works, how their weaponry works. And Tilk has absolutely no scientific knowledge about how anything actually works. And he says, knowledge of gold magic is forbidden. And Jack's like, it's not magic. It's just science because Jack then like barges in where he's not, he's probably not really supposed to be there for Jack's like, I'm going to be here anyway. And it's like, oh, okay, fine, I guess. We'll do this. So we learn like that the Gould rule by force. They were a smaller number, but have been growing. The planets that the Gould no longer have use for, the people have just sort of been left there abandoned. And Kennedy wants to know if there's any sort of Gould leadership that could be negotiated with to be like, hey, we come in peace, please leave us alone. And it looks like the Gould have no use for peace. So no, that's not going to happen. And sort of start and Tilk sort of starts giving a bit of a history and how they use slaves and do all this stuff. And Kenny's like, well, where did these slaves come from? And here's where we sort of get the story of the movie Stargate from the point of view of the Gould. And Tilt begins to tell of an ancient tale where the Gould found a primitive world where this type of being, aka humans, first evolved, and it was called the Tauri. This is where the Gould harvested from among these primitive peoples. Some became hosts of the Gould, some became Jaffa, and others were enslaved. Which, hey, that all sounds really familiar. And Kenny's like, uh, people evolved here on Earth. Guess what? We're the Tauri. And Tilk's like, what? He's like, so shocked. Because, I mean, but, I mean, if you heard this, you know, sort of fairy tale growing up of, you know, this ancient world where all these people came from and then suddenly you're there, you'd probably be like, wait, what? This It's this place? This is this place? I mean, I get Tilk's sort of like flabbergastedness at this and so jack confirms you know the story about raw how he came here and then eventually we rebelled and buried the gate and Tilk's like oh that's why you're so advanced and you know have all this weaponry and stuff because you buried the gates the ghoul couldn't get here since travel by ship you know would take months or years and they had you know all the other planets they colonized by that point to deal with we probably just weren't worth dealing with because they was still bc times when the gate was buried so we just got left alone and now we're like really super awesome and powerful. And Tilk's like, you might be the only people who can like save the universe from the Gould, <laughs> which is, that's kind of a lot. So we have Kowalski getting his MRI, but there's nothing there yet. So Sam is going to the, the control room to check 
if the Gould are still dining in or not. And she has a lovely conversation with Daniel just sort of about what's been going on since they came back and how like Daniel can't really sleep because he keeps thinking about Sharae and she's like, well, you gotta sleep. And he's like, yeah, do I really have to? Cause you know, coffee's a thing that <laughs> exists. It's not working for very long. <laughs> no, 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 for very long. So he's like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll, I'll go take a nap. So he heads out to a bunk room and sits down on the bottom bunk and this just like hand falls down from the top bunk. And he's like, that's not good. And he turns on the light and Hey, it's, it's the doc that Kowalski killed earlier hidden away in the bunk room. So that's not Which is great. interesting. That means that the Gould had enough sense to hide a body. Yes. It's always interesting. When I did a bad thing, let me cover it up. So I, I do think that stuff like that points to a certain level of intelligence in the being, not just sort of the ability to kill, but to understand that killing in general is wrong and should not be just left out in the open. It's an, in- it's an interesting dichotomy that I will kill this thing and then I will hide the fact that I did the bad thing. So Dr. Warner's looking at the MRI and we can see the the Gould just wrapped around his neck. So he goes in to talk to Kowalski and he's like, you're off active duty for now. There's something really bad going on. But Kowalski's eyes flash. The doc hits the alarm, which is good, but it's too late. Kowalski like shoves him, knocks him out and makes his way to the control room and starts trying to dial the gate. Sam tries to stop him. They struggle a bit. Kowalski grabs her, and we hear the symbiote at least say, help me, which help him what? Help him get back to his home planet? Help him get out of, like, what What do you think the symbiote, the parasite, wants help with? Oh, you know, that's a really good question. I never really thought about that one, because I never, it, it didn't process in my brain that he was saying help me in the voice of the Gould. Therefore, the Gould was the one asking for help. I don't know. You know, the other thing, too, that I've wondered is they, in all the Stargate Universe adventures, they never really actually try to explain why the ghouls have the power to make their eyes glow. Well, I can tell you why in the movie. Okay, tell me why in the movie, because I don't remember. According to the movie, his eyes glow just because they needed some way to show that this guy was an evil alien. Oh, that? That's it. Which I think for a situation like this actually comes in handy to sort of differentiate Kowalski and not Kowalski. I mean, yeah, but you think as as like the show would go on and as they get into like lore and trying to explain like this universe and stuff that that at some point they would try to explain where that ability comes from and why it is used. I don't know. Is it a bioluminescence? We don't know. Can we fill in that loophole? I'm going to go ahead and say it's a bioluminescence. They they secrete something. Okay. They secrete something into their host that creates a bioluminescent effect. Okay. I'm going with it. So do you think then, if that's true, is it that everything glows and it just sort of comes out the eyes because it's because of the way the sort of eye is shaped and what it's made out of? But if we were to sort of peel back their skin, would like the whole body be glowing? It just happens to come out of the eyes because of the way the eye is made. Uh, hmm. Well, because then, like, your mouth would glow and stuff, too. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Yes. Maybe secreting just, like, generally. All yeah. How, <laughs> how does how does the bioluminescent secretion get directed only to the eyes? Um, Because of the fact it's proximity in the neck and brain. It can direct it to go to the oh. eye area. So this is... <laughs> So is it the symbiote itself that glows? Because, you know, if you were to pull out your eyes, you could see your brain. And so if that's where the head of the ghouled parasite is, 
would technically be like behind your eyes. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Maybe maybe so, the whole symbiote's just glowing. The symbiote glows and because of where it is in the body it makes our eyes glow. Mm, I like that too. Okay. Either one of those will work. Excellent. Loophole filled. Yay. I like it. Uh, I mean, that would also explain better how they can glow at will. True. Yes. Because, yeah. Why are they not glowing all the time? Mm-hmm. So, Kwaski drags Sam into the elevator to, I guess, go up since they're on, you know, the bottom floor. So, it seems like the parasite, you know, is just sort of trying to escape any way they can. But Sam manages to press the emergency stop button and uh, Kowalski knocks her out. Which, fun fact, apparently during one take, Jay Akavone shoved Amanda tapping a little too hard. And she actually, like, really, like, knocked her head on the wall of the elevator and got, like, a little concussion. <laughs> Whoops. Is that yeah. the take they used? I, I don't know if it's the take they used, but that did happen during one of the takes. Oh, my. Um, so, I mean, she's fine. It was, it was just a little concussion, not a big one. <laughs> like, like she like she did not get, like, knocked unconscious. Like, Amanda tapping was fine. So the elevator stopped. We get the doors open, and Kowalski's like, oh, my God, what happened to Carter? Why is she unconscious? So, again, sort of the ghoul has sort of, you know, gone back to sleep, and Kowalski wakes up with no recollection of what has happened since he went to sleep, quote-unquote. So then we cut to the infirmary where they have Kowalski sort of strapped face down to this weird oversized massage bag because sort of got like a hole for his face and he's like spread eagle and it just it looks so uncomfortable it's terribly uncomfortable I don't know how he filmed like that like props to you Jay Akavone for getting through that because I don't know if I could get through something like that so they confirm that you know the sim- the parasite the gould is wrapped around his neck and they're sort of talking with Kowalski and trying to figure out what happened and they're sort of talking over the end of the mission and he realizes it happened as he and Jack were driving, dragging the injured soldier back through the gate. And he's like, I thought I just like tweaked my neck because they were like hurrying and rushing and trying to drag the sky and, you know, tweaking your neck or your shoulder, not out of the question. And he's like, oh, I can't believe I let this happen. And he's like, this is all my fault. It's like, it's not your fault. You're fine, Kowalski. This is all on them. They're going to try operating to remove the Gould parasite, but considering where the parasite is and how it's it's like it's not just like attached like it's actually like wrapped around his spine like a coil um it's gonna be very very tricky operation to him it's like whoever you need to make this operation a success anybody in the world whatever surgeon you want i will get them just tell me who you need but apparently dr warner doesn't need anybody and he can do it himself so they go visit tilk back in the little holding cell that he's in and assemble this once again upside down first they just want to like make sure that Tilk does have his symbiote and it's not his symbiote that's in Kowalski, which I get. And then they like, can we, they sort of talk with Tilk about like, can, can this thing be, you know, we're going to try and remove this. Can that be done? And he's like, if you try, then the symbiote's going to just kill the host. So I don't know if you should try. So we're there's sort of back talking with Kowalski about, you know, what the surgery is going to be and what's going to happen. And he's just like, just get this damn thing out of me. Just get it out. I want it dead. I want it gone just kill it and he's sort of like his vital signs start going crazy and he starts like hyperventilating and his pulse is going off and he passes out and then the symbiote takes over and then we tried Hammond tries to like bargain with it and is like hey if you get out of my guy we'll send you we'll let you live we'll send you home and we'll give you a nice vacation <laughs> we'll home we'll send you to Florida it'll, we'll do whatever you want it'll be great you'll be have a great time it's be lovely and this the cool's like yeah no uh-uh this is this 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 body is mine now. I'm not leaving for 
anything. And then the parasite sort of, I guess, passes out and Kowalski comes back and like the way it's filmed and like sort of music, it is, it is a very tense and stressful scene. And I found myself kind of like holding my breath as they were like arguing back and forth of like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Cause it's like, if you make the parasite mad enough, will it just like kill Kowalski be like, hi, you're never getting your guy back. I don't know. It was just, Ooh, it I, would I die itself the then, right though. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it could maybe after the host dies, it could, you know, get out of the host and slither over to somebody else Uh, maybe i don't know so then we're back in the briefing room sort of uh discussing the surgery and what's going to happen with everybody and colonel kennedy's like are we sure we want to remove this the parasite because i mean there's only like a 10 to 12 percent chance that quality is even gonna live and hammond's like that's my guy you're talking about here if there's even a one percent chance kowalski could survive we're gonna do this and kennedy's like but we could learn so much. Maybe we could even like turn it to be on our side and it looks like that's not going to happen. But then we also get this really interesting piece of information that from Tilk that all the gold are born with every memory of gold that came before it. So like genetic memory is apparently a thing that happens in the gold, which like that's a lot of memory and a lot of information that would, I mean for sure be useful to us now that we've made an enemy of them. Which it's very interesting to think how that would work because obviously the gold are living on different planets and having different experiences and all that stuff and how, unless they're all like magically networked together. Yeah. How is that even possible to gain knowledge of all the gold that came before? Well, it's not every gold ever. It's every gold that came before it. So it would be like if you could have the genetic memory of your great-great-great-great-grandfather. So like your great-great-grandfather's memory gets passed to your great-great-grandfather, who then gets passed to your great-grandfather, to your grandfather, to you. Which so you don't, may or may not even be useful. Yeah. So, but it's like, like you wouldn't have like your uncle's knowledge, you know? So mm-hmm. at, at a point where like, you know, your father and your uncle started living separate lives, you know? I mean, it wouldn't be all of the gold information, but it would probably go back far enough that, you know, sort of to, well, it would go back to the beginning of the Gua'uld. And maybe we can, you know, discover a weakness and we could maybe learn then how their technology and how their weaponry works, possibly, if the Gua'uld that this Gua'uld is descended from was around when they figured that stuff out. Or maybe he's just the black sheep of the Gould family and he was a farmer somewhere. <laughs> and this knowledge could be just not useful at all. Well, that would throw a huge wrench in the works then, wouldn't it? It's a gamble. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, basically it comes down to Kennedy wants to keep the parasite in Kowalski so we can learn from it. And Kowalski's like, you know, my superiors say this is a good idea. And Hammond's like, well, I'm going to call the president. <laughs> because Kennedy Hammond should has- have just volunteered himself. I know an alternate alternate host. I know. I mean, Hyman could have been like, you want to learn from the parasite? Why don't you let it possess you and take you over? Then you will have all the knowledge. And then how about that? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, no, but I just love whenever Hammond pulls the, I'm going to call the president card because it's just like, yeah, uh huh. That's right. He's got the president on speed dial. Because he can and he does. Yeah, that fancy red phone in his office that goes straight to the White House. So 
the surgery's going to proceed basically at the end of this. It's, we're going to try and get the parasite out of Kowalski because obviously that's the right thing to do in this situation. So we cut to uh, Dr. Warner, who's sort of experimenting on Tilk's symbiote to see what, if any, effects anesthesia might have on the parasite. And we learn that there is absolutely no communication between the Jaffa and the ghoul larva that it carries. It's just like the ghoul's there in its stomach doing its own thing and Tilk has no idea what's going on with it. But we, there does seem to be sort of some effect happening. Like the ghoul, the, the symbiote that Tilk's carrying does seem to be sort of lethargic or the, the anesthesia is doing something. That is weird though. I mean, that's odd that he would say that they have no communication whatsoever because the ghoul substitutes his immune system. So there has to be some sort of communication or some sort of link between well, you. There's a biological relationship, but they don't really talk to each other because the because the, the symbiote in the pouch isn't really attached to Tilk in any way. It's just sort of swimming around free. You know, it's not like attached to the spine and the spinal cord into the brain like it does when it like takes over and like becomes the gold in the human. It's just it's just it's like a tapeworm, basically. <laughs> like a mom in a kangaroo pouch. Yeah, it's like the baby kangaroo in the mama kangaroo's pouch. Like the kangaroo's just there, but the mama like there's no like psychic link between them or anything. So then we cut to Kowalski and Jack who have a very touching conversation um about what will happen when slash if Kowalski dies and all that stuff and like Kowalski's like cremate me so that there's nothing left of that thing. Like I don't want there to be any possibility of this thing coming back. And Jack's like, you'll be fine. Kowalski's like, I'm not gonna be fine. This is this is not going to go well. And which he's, you know, really sad about because he was looking forward to, you know, finally having his first real command of SG2. And we get, you know, the very touching line of no matter what happens, it was an honor to serve with you, sir, which like, hmm, makes me sad because I like Kowalski. He was he's a good guy and it's not looking good for him. And And can I have your stereo? Yes. (laughs) Which (laughs) classic Jack always cracking a joke to just, you know, cut through the serious stuff. So now it is surgery time. Dr. Warner says they're going to hold back on the use of the anesthetic until they can be administered to both Kowalski and the parasite simultaneously. And Kowalski tells him, and if this goes wrong, like, give the order, which basically, you like, kill me. If this doesn't work, just kill me, get it over and done with. And then the anesthetic gets delivered, which was like 30 seconds later. So it's like, what were you holding off? for and like that wasn't that wasn't really holding off like you did the anesthesia the first thing before you even made a cut so i'm i don't i'm not really sure what that line about holding off on the anesthesia was for so we get we get a pretty decent computer graphic of the surgery that's happening inside kowalski since we can't actually see inside kowalski of them sort of pulling at the symbiote and like trying to unwrap it from around the spine and it seems to be sort of coming away more easily than they thought but it's still you know tricky and difficult going and dr warner observes there's like thin filaments extending up into the brain and he's going to try cutting them and when he does that quasi sort of starts convulsing on the table for a little bit then he calms down they resume the surgery and dr warner extracts the ghoul parasite and it's dead it's out Yay! That was easy. So we're in the infirmary and Kowalski wakes up and everybody's like 
very happy with how the surgery went and he can move his fingers and toes and everything's great. The end. Or is it? Or is it? So we cut to Kennedy congratulating Hammond on the success of the operation. And Kennedy's like, I'm going to go back to the Pentagon and I'm taking Tilk with me. And Hammond's like, oh, you think so? And Kennedy's like, I do think so because I have orders that say so. And I'm going to take him with me in the morning. It's like, all right, you go go ahead and, you know, be, be, be smug for all of five minutes, Kennedy. You'll get it. Sam comes to tell Daniel and Jack in the infirmary about uh, Kennedy taking Tilk away and Kowalski is like, can you, can I see him before he goes? Like, I need to thank him because, you know, the information he gave them was probably a, a big reason that the surgery was a success. So Tilt gets brought in to see him and they shake hands and Kowalski tells the guards, like, hey, give us a minute, like, wait outside. We'll just, just give me a minute. And uh, uh, Kowalski's eyes glow. What? I thought the ghoul was removed. Uh, apparently not. So he starts strangling Tilkin then and says that the only thing that they removed was a dead husk, which so I guess do the ghoul shit skin like like a snake? Is that kind of like what it is? No, that never really comes up again, does it? No, it doesn't. So it's like and he says I he he had already bonded with the host. Like, what does that mean? No, I don't. I think that's definitely one of the things I noticed that like it comes up in that episode and then never again. <laughs> yeah. Do we need to fill in this plot hole? Is this something we need to fill in? Sure. Would we like to say that it sheds like a snake? Yes. I I'm, I go with the snake theory. All right. Okay. So Tilt drops to the ground unconscious, and uh, the ghoul that Kwaski also dispatches with the guards. It's unclear if they're like dead or just like knocked out unconscious before he heads to the control room and knocks. Those soldiers out unconscious before he starts dialing an address, which is Chulak, which there's a little bit of a glitch in that the address that we see start to get dialed is actually the address for Abydos and not the address for Chulak. So somebody put the wrong computer graphics in. Oh, my. And during fight scenes like that, where it's just one guy, like, moving through eight men, just, like, punching and kicking it through. I always imagine, like, the old Batman how <laughs> bam yes. it's just fantastically classic of just i'm gonna punch you keep walking kick you keep walking throw you against a wall keep walking well you have to remember kowalski also has the strength of gold in him now so so it makes it better yes so kowalski gets the gate in he gets the sort of the the blast shield down and makes his way into the gate room where we see Tilk is now standing on the ramp leading up to the gate, which Tilk got there awfully quickly. And when he learned that Kwaski had also set the auto-destruction, and we have another three-minute counter going on. There's a big struggle then between Tilk and Kwaski on the ramp. Um, Tilk gets Kwaski really close to the gate as it's, like, turned on and sort of is holding him so that, like, the back of his head is through the event horizon, and Jack orders the gate to be shut down and the gate gets shut down. And so Kowalski like loses the back of his head and dies and just like falls down on the ramp. And it's really gross. We see, and here's another thing we never see again, like the parasite that sort of slithers slithers its way out of his brain is like only a couple inches long versus the, you know, foot, foot and a half of like the full parasite. So it's, a, it's just sort of a little slug looking thing that sort of comes out of Kowalski. 
which is interesting. That is definitely something in the I have questions category. Because we saw like a fully mature symbiote, you know, take over Sharae in Children of the Gods. And that was like the full snake thing. It's huge. Yeah. Or does it like go in as the full snake thing, attach itself, shed the husk, and just what remains behind is the little slug thing? Well, then what happens to the rest of the husk if it's still in a body? Does it just sort of maybe, like, dissolve and get absorbed into, like, the host's body? Might. I mean, they live for Hundreds of years. Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. Mm. So then that assumes that after a certain point, it wouldn't be able to go into another body, right? Like, that's it. If it's the snake dude that needs to go in there. Right. Which it can't be that because there's the chokra. Mm-hmm. Questions? We have questions. questions. I don't know <laughs> if we can answer that one. Mm. Unless unless the chokra consciously don't shed their husk. I don't know. Seems weird. <laughs> yes. Seems like something they thought of at the time and then we're like, meh. Never again. <laughs> we'll just leave this to die here. So uh, Tilk sort of like apologizes for, you know, Kowalski being dead and, you know, is sorry for his passing. And Jack goes, my friend died on the table, which I mean, really, he did because everything after the surgery was just the symbiote, which apparently the symbiote is really good at faking being not a symbiote, not being a ghoul, because he was imitating Kowalski so good, like nobody thought it wasn't Kowalski. Which is interesting because there didn't, when it was still sort of going back and forth between Kowalski and not Kowalski, there didn't seem to be much communication between either being aware of what the other was doing, unless it was just Kowalski not being aware of what was going on when the Gould had taken over, but the Gould was still aware of everything that Kowalski was doing, even though the parasite wasn't active. Hmm. True and interesting. Yes. Hmm. We may never know. So we cut to a few days later. SG-1's getting ready to go on, like, their first mission. We see Jack uh, in Hammond's office in his, like, comeback year. And Hammond is on the phone with the president, basically just giving it to Kennedy. And, like, oh, sir, stop. Anytime you want to come down here, you're welcome. Please. And Kennedy just basically fucks off back to the Pentagon. And so Till comes in and joins them in the gate room. And we get the great hero shot of all four members of SG-1 walking through the gate for the first time. And that was the enemy within. Any lingering questions, comments, overall thoughts? How do you how did you like this episode? Is this a good one? What do you think? I did. Well, this one more than more than the others I definitely watched it and I was like that there are definitely elements in that which it was like they tried this idea and then abandoned it later and (laughs) and you could definitely tell such as the stuff we discussed where it just it is not consistent at all with how they proceed with the rest of the show and so it's just interesting to go back and re-watch it and kind of catch it and know that's what happened in the evolution of how they wanted to do things yeah so, but yeah, this, this is just more obvious than not of, it, it just makes it interesting. Yeah. 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 That's right. This is a rewatch podcast and not just a watch podcast because we mm-hmm. have all of the knowledge of episodes yet to come. Um, most, mostly. Apparently we, we have forgotten. watched them, but it was years ago. Many years. I don't even want to think about how long it's been. Be sure to catch us next time. Yes, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Window of Opportunity. 
You can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O SG rewatch, all one word at gmail.com. And we will see you next week for episode three, Emancipation.